Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to OSHA's big anniversary sale celebration, May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at OSH.com. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Min Jin Lee's acclaimed novel, Pachinko, which follows multiple generations of a Korean family, has become a popular and powerful series on Apple TV+. Pachinko tells the story of Sanja, played by the last year's Oscar winner, Yeo Jung Yoon, from when Sanja was a little girl living under Japan's occupation of Korea in the first half of the 20th century, and later as Sanja and her family endure hardship and discrimination in Japan and the U.S., Pachinko was adapted for the screen by Su Hyu, the series creator who joins me now. Su Hyu, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Hello. And congratulations on all the praise the uh, <laughs> the series is getting. It's uh, it's nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You know, I never saw the gambling game Pachinko actually being played until I streamed the series on Apple TV Plus. And can you just start by explaining to listeners what Pachinko is? Yeah, the best way to describe it, think of a pinball machine that stands up instead of uh, is spread out because they had such little space in Japan. And it's a game where hundreds of balls go flying up and you sort of wait to see where your fate lies as the ball is coming down, either win or lose. Yeah, there's no control over the direction that they move. It's totally chance. Wherever they go sort of determines your payout or, you know, your fate, I guess, because you've called this game a metaphor. Talk about what you mean by that for the overall story of Pachinko, the novel itself and then the series. Yeah, I mean, the book sets it up so well, obviously. Like, we all play these games in life hoping that the odds are with us. But there's so few things we can control in our lives except for just the way we decide to approach the way we live. But the game is just this beautiful metaphor for luck and chance, as you said. And interestingly, Pachinko is one of the few businesses open to Koreans living in Japan who've been discriminated against and treated as second-class citizens there. You know, Suhyu, I don't know about you, but I've always been struck by how few non-Koreans seem to know that about <laughs> Koreans living in Japan that they had experienced and in many ways still do deep discrimination in Japan or, or even the whole occupation period that Japan occupied Korea and exercised this brutal colonial rule from 1910 to World War II. Do you find that too, that there just really does not seem to be a lot of awareness of that among, especially among non-Koreans and even among some Japanese Americans too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was aware of just the broad strokes of this historical time period. Um, I knew about colonization, but I actually had no idea about the history of the Zainichi in Japan um, and the subsequent generations. And it, again, it's a testament to the book that it excavated the story, this sort of unknown history um, that's gotten forgotten, especially. Uh, and even the year 2022, when you ask people in Korea and Japan, as when I visited, um, how much do you know about this? It's still something that isn't being talked about or um, it's pretty much disappeared from the history books. Yeah. Even among our own generations, I do feel like there are so many gaps because people 
do not want to talk about it, people who lived through that time. And actually, I want to invite our listeners to join the conversation. So curious if your family does have a connection to this period in history when Japan occupied Korea, or maybe you you read Pachinko, have watched the series, wondering what your reaction is to it. You can call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. Given the fact that there is so little often told about this. It is wonderful to see that story from Min Jin Lee's novel being told on screen, which you know centers a Korean girl who grew up under Japanese colonial rule, Sanja, and, and follows her through so many generations, all the way to her family members living in Korea and also living in Japan and living in the US. Uh, it meant that the series had to be told in three languages, Korean, Japanese, and English. And sometimes yeah. you even have characters in the series um, switching from Korean to Japanese, like in mid-sentence. And I just had to wonder, like, what what kind of challenges did that create for you? Did you have to work through <laughs> the best way to do that on screen? Yes, it was definitely an interesting challenge. You know, when we first approached this project, I assumed that there must have been other shows that we attempted something in that vein, right? We couldn't be the very first one to be inventing this wheel because I just don't think you can be reinvent the wheel anymore in 2022. And to all of our surprise, this was something pretty unprecedented. When we asked other shows with multiple languages, well, have you ever tried this? And they're like, no, we never had to do it that way. And at least one of the languages was English. And either there was uh, a second language that um, the actors already knew, or it was pretty, uh, it wasn't as big part of a percentage of the show. So for a show that was written in English, but to be spoken primarily in Japanese and Korean, that was that was something that had been done before. And then within the languages, we also had so many dialects, because that's also the story of this history. Yes. So not only do we have to worry about the Japanese and Korean, we had to worry about all the different dialects that people spoke. Um, and it was it was an interesting challenge. Yeah, so people who view it will see that when it's Japanese, the subtitle is in one color. When it's Korean, the subtitle is in another color. And then English, another color still. But it is very doable. I mean, it's amazing the extent to which I think we underestimated our public's willingness and enjoyment of subtitled films. It was sort of a stereotype that that was not something that a lot of audiences would get into. But clearly, that's proved itself wrong for years now with the popularity of foreign cinema and series and so on. I have to give the streamers a huge credit for that as well. I mean, when you think about Netflix and how they first brought, especially on the television side, I think people were used to reading subtitles on films, but to break that barrier in television was is very recent. When you think about Netflix, you think about um, not just Squid Game, but even before Squid Game, the mm. Spanish show Money Heist and the popularity of Unorthodox. And people started getting used to living with subtitles in their living rooms every week on a week-to-week -week basis. So it's very recent though. Well, we're talking about the new Apple TV Plus series Pachinko, which does just this in terms of working with subtitles and so effectively. And its creator is Sue Hugh, also showrunner and writer of the Apple TV Plus series, Pachinko. You, our listeners, are joining us. 866-733-6786 is the number. Email address forum at kqed.org. And of course, you can post thoughts on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And we have Mary who writes, 
I am 84 years old, and I lived in Korea through the Japanese occupation. One day we were Korean. The next day we had to learn Japanese, speak it at home, change our names. My family said we were not going to do that at home. We are going to speak Korean at home, even though that was dangerous. My uncle was beaten by the Japanese. I will never forget what happened to us. Uh, Suhu, I want to ask you about a scene that I found so beautifully filmed against this backdrop of the limitations that were put on Koreans under Japan's occupation. It is the scene when Sanja's mom wants to make rice for her on her wedding day. Uh, can you talk a little bit about first, maybe the historical context of trying to even access that uh, white rice that she wanted to get for Sanja? I know. And it's something we take for granted, you know, when we look at white so rice, much. it just feels so, it so feels so every day. We don't want white rice anymore. But back during colonial times, um, Japan very much used their colonies like Korea as the breadbasket. So they used, they were, they had a rice shortage. Korea became the supplier for rice for most of the Japanese empire. And so the rice was grown in Korea, but then shipped off to overseas. And so the Korean people for the occupation lived without tasting their own rice they had to eat cheaper uh, barley millet and so when it came to that scene and filming that scene we really wanted the audience to feel what a treasure it was and we really wanted to feel a mother's just how much it meant for a mother to be able to offer her daughter that taste of her homeland before she ships off and it's so simple right it's white rice and yet you feel huge emotions i love that scene yeah, the care you put into that scene of her making the rice, washing the rice, steaming it. it. It feels like it must have been a really important scene for you to get right. Can you talk about what it meant to you or if it had a personal meaning to you? Well, growing up as a latchkey kid, I it was my job that before my parents got home from work, I had to make the white rice. And so, you know, my mom taught me how to wash the rice and you have to wash it forever. And as a kid, I hated making rice. Um, even though it's an electric cooker, just it takes 20 minutes to wash it because you would know that if the water wasn't clear, the rice wasn't going to be good enough. Um, so a few times I took a shortcut and wouldn't wash the rice that well. And my mom said she could taste the difference. I said, that's not true. And since learning that why you can you know, rice is something that when we talk about it amongst this casting crew, so many of us have that story um, from the Asian diaspora of just how important rice is to our family. You know, the, the family comes around a meal for that. Um, and I thought Justin, the director, did such a beautiful job with Auntie shooting those shots and just giving it that feel of, you know, we said it was a sacred act and I, that's, it just looks that way. The other thing I loved was the way that you recreated the fish market, the, the hustle and bustle of the market where the mother goes to be able to get that rice. And what did you do to bring that that market alive? Yeah, it's a credit to our art team and production designer Mara. So we started off with just doing tremendous amounts of research. Now, what was difficult about that rice, that specific fish market was there were very few photographs to go upon from that time period. Um, so we hobbled together a few different sources from different fish marks from different parts of Korea. And we, what was amazing is we filmed it in Vancouver. Originally, the show was supposed to be shot across Japan and Korea and some Vancouver. But due to the pandemic, we shifted half Korea, half Vancouver. 
and we weren't able to get into Japan. Um, so we had to completely reconfigure our uh, plans for that fish market. Wow. And what I'm so proud of about that fish market is originally we thought we would have to do tremendous, tremendous VFX work in terms of what we saw outside. And there's some set stuff, but really that's all just built and lived in. And you feel it. I think you can't you can't visually snazz that up. I think it has <laughs> to have textural. So they did a terrific job. Well, let me go to caller Shiro in San Francisco. Hi, Shiro. Hi. Hi, you're on. Uh, okay. Okay. Um, uh, I was a, a child uh, growing up in Japan while uh, Japan colonized Korea. So I did uh, observe uh, uh, Japanese, uh, not all of Japanese, but uh, some Japanese mistreated Koreans. Mm. And uh, so uh, that that's a fact you know, to which Japanese uh, have to uh, own up to. But as far as pachinko parlor business is concerned, I'd like to make two comments. One is it is a, a gambling, uh, very public gambling, but on the surface, the, the uh, player cannot get cash for the winning. That's illegal. Uh, however, he brings the winning to the next door, and, or he, he gets candies and chocolate for the winning. And he can bring that prize to the next door and get his cash. Yeah. The total loophole. Okay, that's one thing. And then, now, some, some, I'm not sure how many, but lots of that Pating Palace, uh, uh, the profit is being sent back to North Korea to support the dictatorship who builds rockets and the A-bombs. I think it should be investigated. Uh, okay. Do you, so, Shiro thinks, did yes. you know, do you, is, does that sound right to you, Suhyu? I think this uh, is, it's not confirmed history. This is very controversial history. I would think the words that we need to be very careful when we talk about this is we need to make sure that it's substantiated historically and in facts. And we need to make sure that when we use words like most or some, that we know what most or some means. Um, so I would just say that this is definitely stuff that has not been proven. Well, Daniel writes about pachinko and fate. I lived in Japan for nearly a decade and got to know some pachinko pros, mostly ethnic Chinese and Koreans born in Japan who make their living working in teams that work the pachinko parlors the same way professional blackjack players work Vegas. In other words, anything but blind luck, they take their fate by the horns. We're talking with Sue Hugh, the creator, showrunner, and writer of Apple TV Plus's series Pachinko, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. So one of the things I do, as since we're on the topic of Pachinko, I do want to talk to you about the opening, the title sequence of your series, which, which takes place where you have all of these different characters from all the different generations in Pachinko dancing together in the Pachinko parlor. Can you talk a little bit about your decision to make that the title sequence? I mean, they're playing, they're having fun, they're they're dancing to to live for today by the grassroots. It's just a very joyful and modern scene, which you know is is in stark contrast, really, to some of the the difficulty of the material that you grapple with in the show. You know, I always said that I needed we needed that title sequence to feel exuberant. 
And we need it to feel like a family portrait come to life. So when you look at that title sequence, you'll see actual family photos from our cast. Um, you see Minha and Minho and, and Sohees, their family portraits that we really wanted our cast past and their stories to be part of that. Um, it is a show that is sometimes heavy, but I don't think it's ever bleak. But this, every week, at least, we have a title sequence that can make our audience smile and remember that life is full of trials and tribulations, but it's also filled with joy and um, triumph as well. So I think it's very important to just keep that balance. Yeah. And, and with the generations interacting together, you've talked about how very much this series is how the generations are in dialogue with each other. And so interestingly, Pachinko, the novel by Minjin Lee is chronological, but the series, uh, time flips back and forth. You can go from, you know, 1930 to 1989 uh, in the same episode. Yeah. I mean, that was something I was particularly very interested in uh, when I was thinking about adapting the book. Because I think every adaptation, there has to be a reason for that adaptation to exist. If you're going to translate something literally word for word, which is impossible, by the way, when you leap to the visual format. But if, you're, if that's your intention, um, I don't understand why that adaptation exists because you have a really brilliant, perfect novel. Um, so in my approach to this adaptation, I had to think about what it was that I wanted to say as a storyteller what I thought was the most interesting um, way to tell that story in a time-based medium in the way that television is. And that dialogue between generations, between first generation, second generation, third generation, and watching the ripple effect of one action and how it travels through time, I thought that was really exciting. Um, I thought the potential to following characters in that way gave me a lot of just freedom in comparing and contrasting themes and character arcs. Um, it was really difficult to do at times. And this is a show that was very much made in the edit room because of that. But I really feel proud of what we did. And, and what do you think it's adding to this question of intergenerational trauma or sacrifice or the burdens that we often put on the next generation? As simple as it is to say, sometimes it just means for me, it just means I need to remind myself that the past matters. Um, even we constantly adjudicate the past, question the past. But I think it's important as this show hopefully can speak to is we can't forget the past, it matters. Well, Steve tweets, I've been watching subtitled movie content for 50 years. I badly want to see Pachinko, but don't have Apple TV Plus. Currently hunting around <laughs> for a friend to invite me over for the entire series. Someone invite Steve. Well, Sue, you thanks so much. We'll actually go out on the theme song, but so appreciate having you on and congrats on the series, Thank Pachinko. Thank you for having me. Sue Hugh, creator, showrunner, and writer of Apple TV Plus's series, Pachinko. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. And I don't mean to hurry as long as I'm with you. We'll take it nice. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. 
Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them, with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.